Paul said to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished the race. Prayerfully, that can be said of all of us before our living is through. My name is Hal Brady, and I want to welcome you to this ministry. The purpose of this ministry is to present the gospel of Jesus Christ in a biblical, relevant, and vital way. The purpose is also to encourage people and to remind them that there is still God. So as I said, let me welcome you to this ministry. It is my prayer that you will be blessed both by the message and the music. Would you hear now, please, the reading of God's Word? It comes from Romans chapter 8, and I'm beginning reading at the 18th verse. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me, please, for a moment of prayer? Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which art our strength and our redeemer. Amen. There's not any of us that has not been affected by the Boston tragedy a few weeks ago. As I was sitting at my television set, I simply was having trouble believing this unthinkable horror. Like you, I ached for the victims. I ached for those who were suffering and for those who were running around in a state of maze. Another emotion kept creeping, creeping in as I watched all of this. That was the emotion of anger. How in the world could this happen? Could anybody do this sort of thing? There is no cause big enough to be so heartless and careless with the sacred value of human life. There is no cause big enough to bring about such an atrocity. It just simply shows the depravity of this world in which we live. Humankind's inhumanity to humankind is simply unbelievable. But still another emotion came in, and that was the emotion of thankfulness and gratitude. I was so grateful to see those good Samaritans as they raced into danger to help those people who were hurt. That is the good side of humanity called the godly side. That is the important side of humanity. I am so thankful that that help did come and has continued to come. Tonight is no time for a message on doubt. Tonight is the time for a message on hope. And so I want to bring that message to you just now. The Apostle Paul also recognized the necessity of hope in the troubling tragedies of his own day. He said, we are saved by hope. The Apostle Paul knew that there was no situation that was hopeless. Consequently, he had his faith in God. Paul knew about sin, no question about that. He knew about it in his own life, and he knew it from observation. But he also knew something about the redemptive power of God. And because he knew about the redemptive power of God, he had great hope. 
So Paul not only lived in the world, he also lived in Christ. Because he lived in Christ, he was not sitting around defeated in, in a state of despair while he was waiting on things. No, he was waiting with an expectant hope that God would simply recreate creation. The Apostle Paul was an apostle of hope. In Thomas Shapcott's novel, Bellevue, we have the child who is the leading character say to his grandmother, when you die, what will you leave me? His grandmother says, sole heir of my hopes. So as people of God in the 21st century, we say to the Apostle Paul, what will you leave us? And then we say, for God's sake, for the world's sake, for America's sake, for our city's sake, make us heirs of your hopes. Realizing that hope brings salvation, hope brings encouragement, hope brings sensitivity. Realizing all of this, I want to bring a message on hope. But the idea is, how can we remain hopeful in a hell of a world like this? That is the question. We can live a hopeful life by recalling our hopelessness. What is it that makes us hopeless? And of course, the idea is, if we name our demons, we'll be able to overcome them. What has happened to hope in our time? Hope has taken a tremendous beating in the last century and in the beginning part of this century. Why is hope in such short supply in, in America and in the old world parts as well? As Paul would suggest, the whole creation has and continues to groan in travail. Now, if we do not understand and accept the rest of what Paul is saying in this book of Romans, we're going to wind up in a hopeless state ourselves. A little girl came home from school, and she had a bad report card, an F was for spelling. When her mother demanded an explanation, she said, Mommy, words fail me. Well, the word hope has failed a lot of people in our time. Why do we have so many people living in despair and dejection and just heartless? Why do we have all of that going on in our time? For one thing, we've become shallow in our hopes. For a long time now, we've been robbing the great words and squeezing the moral content out of them until they simply have become superficial. Hope, like freedom, has become superficial and secular and almost meaningless to many people in our time. Hope has come to mean simply look on the bright side. Look on the bright side. You know, there's a familiar story of a little boy who was standing with his father, and they were looking into a pet shop, and it was the little boy's birthday, and his father wanted to buy him a present, one of these little puppies. So he looked for a long time. Finally, his father said, Son, have you picked one out yet? Yes, he said, as he pointed to one who was furiously wagging his tail. He said, I want the one with a happy ending. We all do. We all want the one with a happy ending. There's nothing particularly virtuous about it, but that's what hope has come to mean in many people's lives in our time. Precisely that. And then secondly, for another thing, we have been putting our trust in a lot of false hopes. Over the arch of the library door of one of our great university campuses are carved these words, knowledge is the hope of the world. While believing strongly in education and the educated processes, I say to you that is a mistaken paganistic philosophy of, it, philosophy of life. Knowledge by itself is not the hope of the world. Knowledge with a humane purpose is the hope of the world. 
Now I want you to hear this quote. It was spoken by a prominent American educator in 1912. This is what he said. Today we have no fear of war, famine, pestilence, or failing resources. The advance of knowledge has safeguarded humankind from these ills. Poor, misguided, educated soul that he was. For since that day, we've gone through two world wars, unnumbered police actions in trouble spots around the world, and through the worst depression any nation has ever gone through and remained intact and all in spite of education. I would remind you that the greatest threat in the world today is not the ignorant person. The greatest threat in the world today is the educated person of Russia, China, North Korea, France, Britain, the United States. These are the nations that have the capability of putting a nuclear warhead together. There was a German scientist who had the ability to fashion with his hands what he desired with his mind. One day he went into the laboratory and he decided to make a man. As he was putting the finishing touches on this creation of his genius, all of a sudden the created sat up and shouted, Give me a soul, give me a soul, give me a soul. It so startled the scientist that he ran out into the night, only to be pursued by his creation, shouting, Give me a soul, give me a soul, give me a soul. I submit to you, that's where we are in the world today. All of creation, whether it's politics, sports, whatever, family life, all the creation shouting, Give me a soul, give me a soul, give me a soul. Another false hope is something we call progress. Many of us think that if we have progress in one realm, it means progress in all realms. What a deception. If we had progress in the material realm, which we do, and if that progress occurred in all other realms, we would be the most humane, the most gentle, the most peaceful generation in the world's history. And yet we know that in this century and the last century, one of the most civilized nations in the world put to death six million Jews in a concentration camp. We know of nations perpetrating evil against other nations, even against its own people. We have seen human rights abused throughout the world. And we've seen 9-11, we've seen the Oklahoma bombing, and we've seen the Boston tragedy. We've seen all of these things. Leonard Griffith, the great Canadian minister, said way back there, he said, at the birth of history, one man murdered another. And he said, when God held him accountable, he simply said, am I my brother's keeper? And then Griffith said, have we progressed any further than that? I don't think so. Have we progressed any further than that? Am I my brother's keeper? I don't think so. And for still another thing, we have lived too close to the edge of our beliefs, some of us. What is the first thing to go when the going gets rough? Surface beliefs. When the going gets rough and we start battling for faith and courage, what falls first are surface beliefs. We are living dangerously when we don't have any basic faith or any basic convictions or beliefs to live by. I want you to listen to this. The Christian faith urges all of us who would enjoy the reality of God's grace to have basic convictions about God and Jesus Christ and humankind and sin and forgiveness and liberation and reconciliation because these are the things that form the roots of our hope, the roots of our hope. Charles Lamb, who was a minister in another decade or so back, he said if Shakespeare were to come into this room right now, we would rise to our feet. He said, but if Jesus Christ were to come into this room right now, we would fall to our knees. How, how correct he was and is. And then secondly, we can live a hopeful life by reclaiming the true nature of hope. 
by reclaiming the true nature of hope. The one note that runs considerably through the scriptures as if a deep refrain is that God abideth faithful. God abideth faithful and is the source of our hope. The psalmist said, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. And then the writer of 1 Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy we've been born anew to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What the resurrection means is that God can take the worst situation and make it into a victory. Years ago there was this man who stood and he was looking at bloodshed and revolution and wars. It looked like everything solid was being swept away. And he suddenly lifted his eyes and he said, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And then there's an old story about Martin Luther. Martin Luther, who was so strong and courageous before popes and kings, no question about that. But he also succumbed to deep despondency and depression that he couldn't get out of. One day while he was sitting at the breakfast table, his wife came down the stairs. She had on a black dress and she was mourning. She went over and closed the windows. She locked the doors and she tiptoed around the room. The bewildered Martin Luther said, Is somebody dead? Yes, she said. Don't you know, Martin? Don't you know God? God is dead. The old German snapped out of it and he understood what she was saying. Joseph Zazu has written a book called Still We Can Hope. He says that in times of crisis, when the resources of men and women shrivel, the resources of God unfold. Storms are the affairs of earth. The rainbow is the affair of heaven. Now, Jesus gave us some secrets of life that help all of us to overcome the low moods that we overcome. First of all, he lived his life shaped by prayer. He lived his life shaped by prayer. Secondly, he knew the power of praise. You remember that Emmaus Road experience? He was walking with his disciples. His disciples didn't even know him. They didn't recognize him. He started explaining to them scripture. He went through so much of scripture, but they still didn't understand who he was. But finally, when they got more to the end of the road and they went into this little house to have supper together, they asked him to lead the prayer. And when he did, they recognized him in his prayer in the way he thanked God in other words, they recognized Jesus in his praise, in his praise. And then another thing, Jesus had passion. He was passionate about finishing the mission that God had set for him to do. Rembrandt, I think, has a picture of Jesus and his inner thoughts. He has him painted in a picture in the New York Metropolitan Museum of Art. He has Jesus chasing these money changers out of the temple. He's chasing them out, but Rembrandt drew the halo not around his head, but around his hand. You see, there's a connection. There's a connection between the heart and the head and the hand. There is a connection there. So if we have prayer and praise and passion, we'll be able to stand on the hopeful rock of God's grace and get our power for living. And then thirdly, we can live a hopeful life by thinking small. You heard that right, by thinking small. You know, there was a college religion professor said that if by chance they ever opened the biblical canon again, he has a beatitude he'd like to add into Holy Scripture. This is what it would say. Blessed are those who think small, 
for they shall become a people of hope. According to this professor, hope happens when you get your hands on something you can do something about. Hope happens when you get your hands on something you can do something about. Think small. You know, Jesus told us so much about this that we often overlook it. Let me give you an example. How many disciples did he have? Twelve, not twelve hundred. He said, look at the sparrows, look at the lilies, look at the mustard seed, look at the children. Give me the five loaves and the two fish. You see, he was talking about small. He was saying, you've got to look small if you're going to see the big things. Remember what I said. Hope comes to us when we're able to get our hands around something that we can get our hands around. The happiest, most hopeful people I know are people who are involved in a task, a tiny task, a good task. Even church people who involve themselves in service projects or prayer or teaching or inviting or something like that. They are hopeful, hopeful people. Max Lucado described how it was with him in his early days. He said his first mentor was a man by the name of Stanley Ship. He said he had a big heart, he had white hair, and his heart was as big as the Midwest. He said he, he mentored him during his first year after school. He said one day he went with him out to this rural area in Pennsylvania, and he said they were the first people there at the conference. They happened to be there when a knock came on the door. It was a drifter when they opened the door. The drifter had alcohol as a perfume. The drifter gave his usual spill of things. He was out of work. He had a bad back. His children didn't like him. He, was, he didn't have a ticket, a bus ticket. All of these things, he gave a complete spill. And so Max Lucado said he just looked at him. He folded his arms, and he looked at Stanley Ship as if to say, well, who is this guy? But he said Stanley Ship never took his eyes off of the man. He looked straight at the man. He never took his eyes off of him. And he wondered if this man had ever seen somebody stare at him like that. But it ended up in a good way. Stanley Ship took this drifter back into the church kitchen, gave him food and all kinds of groceries. And then as the man left, Stanley Ship was standing with Max Lucado, and a tear came down his eye, and he said, Max, I'm sure this fellow was lying to me, but what if one word he said was true? What if one word he said was true? Max Lucado said, both of us saw the man. He said, I saw right through him. He said he saw deep into him. He said it's something good about looking deep into a person's life. It makes us more hopeful as we seek to minister to that person. So how are we going to remain hopeful as we think about the Boston tragedy? How are we going to remain hopeful? We can remain hopeful by praying for those people who were wounded, by praying for the families of those people who were killed, by praying for everybody. We can remain hopeful if we're willing to give something to the cause to help those people. And we can remain hopeful if we'll simply call our friends in the area and tell them we're thinking about them and praying for them. So remember, we can live a hopeful life by thinking small. And then we can live a hopeful life by involving ourselves with the greater purposes of God. Paul not only lived in the world, he lived in Christ. He not only saw the results of humankind's sin, he saw the power of God's redemptive grace. He saw all of that. You know, there's a story that comes out of William and Mary's school about a president named Ewell. Back before the Civil War, William and Mary was a thriving institution for the first century and a half. It was an outstanding college in Virginia. Everything went well. But then the Civil War came. And after the Civil War, the hard days of Reconstruction, 
And in that day, in that day, the school went down. The students left. The buildings went into decay. There was no money. Everybody thought the school was finished, absolutely gone, except this president. His name was Yule. Every day he would go out to the school, he would climb the tower, and he would ring the bell as if the students were there. Every day he did that. He did it for seven years, for seven years. Finally, people began to, to, to agree with him. So the first thing you knew, students started coming back. The money started coming in. The buildings were taken care of. They were renewed buildings, all because of one president's hopeful heart that kept things going. What is hope? It is a picture or a conception of what may be. If we can't dream it, we can't have it. But if we can dream it, just perhaps, just perhaps. And so we say, St. Paul, St. Paul, as 21st century people of God, what will you give us? And then we say, for God's sake, for the world's sake, for America's sake, for our city's sake, for everybody's sake, make us heirs of your hope. Make us heirs of your hope. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the hope that resides within us because you reside within us. Oh, God, we do pray for our friends in the Boston area who had so much happen to them in recent days. We pray for those who are still dealing with their wounds. We pray for those, oh, God, that you would comfort those who lost their loved ones in those three incidences. And we pray for others, O oh God, who are dealing with it in a mental, physical way and any other way as well. We thank you, O oh God, that you hear our prayers. We thank you, O oh God, for this country in which we live and the opportunity of lifting you up in this moment. God, and bless these people who are within the sound of my voice in the sight of this picture. Be with them in a special way. It's in your name. Amen.